0: Then Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. This is the word of the Lord. The Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures say, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Not so Gabriel. Gabriel had a short fuse. If you read the Gospel of Luke, you find that in the very first chapter we are told there was a priest who served faithfully at the temple in Jerusalem, His wife Elizabeth was a long-time descendant of Aaron, brother of Moses. These were two with pedigree. And suddenly one day Gabriel shows up and says to Zechariah, You and Elizabeth are about to have a child. And Zechariah said, Look again, I and she are too old. And Gabriel said, well, just for that, you will not speak another word till this comes to pass. Not a word. Then told Elizabeth what was about to happen. That is, Gabriel told her. He told Mary what was about to happen to her. And finally, the first child born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. On the day of his circumcision, the parents were asked, and will you name him Zechariah? And Elizabeth said, no. Gabriel said to name him John. And they turned to Zechariah and said, You have no relative named John. What shall we name him? And Zechariah had gotten the message the first time he wrote, Name him John. And when he wrote, Name him John, he began to speak these powerful words. Let's take a look. Number one, the Lord God of Israel is about to visit his people. The Lord God of Israel was first known to Israelites with Abraham and Sarah about the year 1800 before the Common Era. Another old man with an old wife whom God asked, Would you like to have a son? They said they would. He said, Come with me. And he led them 400 miles west. And then one day, with no baby yet in sight, he said, I want you to go south another 400 miles. And they went. And the promise was, I will be with you. I will be with you. And through all the pages of the Tanakh, this is the word from God. I will be with you. Lee Kanipe is a Baptist preacher in Murfreesboro, North Carolina. He has written that when he was a seminary student, one of his classes required that he learn how to be a hospital chaplain because in a large hospital one has many different experiences very quickly. On one holiday weekend, all the supervisors had taken the weekend off. He was the clergy on duty. He said, I was told by my supervisor, there is a room with a bed here. If nothing's going on, you can sleep at night. He was sound asleep. In the wee hours of the morning, his beeper went off. He jumped straight up and rushed to the emergency room. Travelers on this holiday weekend... It had a horrible auto accident. Several injured. The mother did. Lisa, I, I didn't know what to do. I wish someone older, wiser, had been there. I just sort of stumbled around from one to the other, and then the other, and back again. The next morning, my supervisor asked, How'd you do? Anything happened last night? I was telling her about this horrible auto accident and how inept I felt and she said to me well a part of your learning is that there are lots of things in life that you can't fix you can't fix but you are supposed to be there to help them know they don't have to face this alone they don't have to face this alone you will be there and the God of Israel will be there number two Zechariah said the Lord God of Israel has looked favorably upon his people yesterday morning the youngest of our grandchildren chatting with Gail when all of a sudden she used the word grace and Gail said what a wonderful word where did you learn that word you unsure. Do you know what it means? And she sort of shrugged her shoulders and Gail said this is a wonderful word, grace. It means unmerited love. It means God just loves us. We can receive his gift. He loves us. Susan Susan Steinberg is a minister in a large congregation in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. She's written in the Christian century that when she was younger, had two little preschoolers herself, uh, she decided she wanted to do ministry with preschoolers the age of her own. She said, I really thought I'd do two or three years maybe with them, and then I'd get to do grown-up things with other members of the church. But by the time my children were older, I discovered there was not a more important place in that church than the place with children. That there were so many who needed to be reassured that they were loved and that they would never be alone. That first of all, God loved them as much as any other child of his in the whole world. And God would never withhold his love That when bad things happen, and sometimes they do, God would be grieving with them, crying with them, sorry that bad things had happened, and asking them to trust Him that He would make things better. Things will get better. She said, You know what? I think I'm going to stay where I am the rest of my ministry. I love it here with these children. I think they need the ministry that maybe I can provide as much or more than anybody else in the church. This is a word we all need to hear. The Lord God of Israel deals favorably with us. Number three, he will send us a Savior to redeem us. He will send us a Savior to redeem us. 18 months ago, Gail and I spent more time in Washington, D.C. than she and I had ever spent on one trip. We had been to Israel a few months before, and so we decided we would stay in the United States for our vacation. We were going to do New York City and Washington, and just see for ourselves how we thought our great museums compared to those in Paris and London and Rome and other great cities. Well, we have wonderful museums in this country. In Washington, D.C., all of them are free to us taxpayers. You can go see any and all of them. Gail and I were there, just the two of us, so we spent a whole day in one, and a whole day in the next, and a whole day in the next. The National Gallery of Art was one of our favorite places. Not only are there many wonderful paintings there, but there are other beautiful things. One, a little chalice, hardly taller than one's hand, not as tall as the one on our altar here. The bowl about the same size, but the stem not as tall. But this one at the National Gallery is 2,100 years old. The little bowl was built, made about 100 years before Jesus was born in Alexandria, in northern Africa. Beautiful little fluted bowl. It had gradually made its way from North Africa over to France. By 1140, there was an abbot at Saint-Denis Cathedral named Suger who came upon this beautiful little bowl. And he decided it could be made into a chalice. So he talked to some of the leading artisans of Paris, and they fashioned such a mounting for this little bowl. in Silver, gold, and precious stones. Now at the time he lived, Abbot Suger, there was another Roman Catholic named St. Bernard of Clairvaux. And St. Bernard believed that monasteries should be way out in the country. Monks should work hard support themselves live on what they could make these riches this finery in Paris he shunned but not Abbot Suger he was very pleased with this beautiful chalice and he used it every time mass was said at Saint Denis long after his death it was used 600 years it was used in this one beautiful church. And then came the French Revolution. And some of the mobs who were running through the city, taking everything of value from the royal family, were also stripping the churches. Someone saw what was happening, rushed down to Saint-Denis and gathered this beautiful little chalice and put it into a sack and ran away with it. Eventually... Made its way to Amsterdam. In Amsterdam, it was finally auctioned off. A wealthy family bought it, had it more than a hundred years. Then it was sold to another wealthy family, and they had it more than a hundred years. And it made its way to America. And in 1942, 70 years ago, it was given to the National Gallery in Washington. It's right there for you to get a good look. When St. Bernard said we shouldn't have such finery in the church, Abbot Suger said we ought to have the most beautiful thing we can imagine to hold the blood of Christ. This gift of God, the broken body, the shed blood that show us how far the love of God has come and is revealed to us. Our Savior has come. And then Zechariah says, He's come to bring light. Dawn is breaking for all of those who've waited in darkness. Often when I do funerals here, The first words I speak are from one of the psalms called De Profundis. Out of the depths we cry unto thee, O Lord, Lord, hear our cries. If you should mark iniquities, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be revered. We wait for you. We wait for you more than those watchmen who wait for the morning. In our darkness, we wait for the first rays of sunlight from the east. A new movie about Abraham Lincoln. I've not seen it yet. I've been reading previews and now reviews. You know that it's based on the biography written by Doris Kearns Goodwin. Steven Spielberg bought the rights to produce it as a movie and hired the best screenwriter he knew. He asked Daniel Day-Lewis if he would play Abraham Lincoln. He said, if you'll give me one year. One year. I wanted to start sooner, Spielberg said. Give me a year if you want me. Those of you who have seen Daniel Day Lewis know that he doesn't make a movie very often. Often goes years between. He immersed himself, reading everything he could get his hands on about Lincoln, how Lincoln spoke. When people first saw him, they imagined he would have a big booming bass voice because he was so tall. He didn't. He had a rather high, squeaky little voice. They said his joints didn't seem to fit together just right. He sort of lumbered a little bit sort of hanging down at his sides. Daniel Day-Lewis came to this country. He went to all the significant places from Abraham Lincoln's life that he had read about. And when he walked on the set at the end of a year, Steven Spielberg said he was Abraham Lincoln. He was. The screenwriter was asked recently, do you think Mr. Lincoln was suffering from clinical depression? And he answered in a second, no. And I don't believe Doris Kearns Goodwin believes so either. We believe Abraham Lincoln simply knew how difficult life is. He lost his own mother when he was a child. He came to love his stepmother very much and she, him, she was wonderful to him. She also died. He grew up splitting rails learning to read by candlelight. Abraham Lincoln lost his own child. Abraham Lincoln went to the battlefields. He went to consecrate a new cemetery at Gettysburg. He saw, he could smell these thousands of bodies that had died on the battlefields of Gettysburg. Is it any wonder, he said, I have bad dreams? And another time he said, the heavens are hung in black. But the screenwriter said, I believe Mr. Lincoln envisioned a new day when the sun would rise and the shadow's darkness would be wiped away. On Christ the King's Sunday, we look back to Easter. All the white lilies, a brass ensemble, a choir loft filled with excited voices singing this good news that the one who had been crucified was not to be sought among the dead. He had been raised. Zechariah said, it's dawning. Can you see it?